Look at Pete's face right there. <laughs> He's so into it. He's so into it. Hawks on three, one, two, three. Hawks! Yes, sir. <laughs> He's got this battle cry. Hawks! I've settled on my favorite version of Pete Carroll. My favorite thing that he does. It's the stuff that everybody said, that's not going to work in the NFL. It's the stuff that happens in the locker room after a game that gives the Seahawks a chance to make the playoffs in a year that nobody expected much from him. It's the really corny stuff. Like Usually, what I would think would make me cringe is what I absolutely enjoy the most. It is Danny O'Neill. This is January 11th, 2023, and welcome to the Dang Apostrophe. I know when you ask me about these injuries, and, and, and I give you my thoughts, if you really want to figure it out, I think Danny O'Neill has the best uh, translations for me. That's the guy. Seahawks coach. Preparing for his 10th playoff appearance in 13 seasons. Third different quarterback has taken him to the playoffs, although I feel weird saying that because it kind of puts it as like, oh, we can make it. I mean, Seattle, when they've made the playoffs without Russell Wilson, it has been this just squeak in variety. Getting in at seven and nine by winning a terrible division in 2010. This year, needing help from the Detroit Lions. Salute to the Lions for for getting it done. So I don't want to make it seem like all parts are interchangeable because clearly he has had to work magic to get the Seahawks to be average or okay without Russell Wilson, where when they've been dominant, Wilson's been the quarterback, not necessarily the best player on the team, the most important player because of the importance of the position. But I, I don't want to, I don't want to make it seem like the Seahawks have not missed Russell Wilson. They've missed Russell Wilson. I don't know if they've missed the Russell Wilson that we saw this year, but it's been a significantly different season. And the reason I see this as one of his biggest coaching successes, Pete Carroll, is because of what he's done in spite of really, really meager expectations. I am Danny O'Neill. This is the dang apostrophe. Before we get going, a couple pieces of housekeeping. I do have a newsletter that is attached to the podcast. Uh, I would encourage you to check it out. I update it at least twice a week, um, sometimes three times. It is kind of turning out to be one of my main sources of income as I become a freelance writer. So if you'd take a look at that, I'd be grateful for that. Also want to make you aware of another podcast that I'm hosting. It is the Say Who Say Pod, which is a Washington Huskies podcast, which I host along with Christian Capel of The Athletic. We're, it's, it's going to be our second full year. We've done it. We did it in bits in 2021. And 2022, we were very disciplined throughout the course of the season. And in 2023, we're going to make it a year-long a, a year long weekly institution. So go ahead and check that out wherever you get podcasts. And if you can rate or review it, that would be exceptionally helpful. Uh, as for the dang apostrophe, some people want to know, why is it named after a punctuation mark that exists in my last name? And well, I turn to KGB to say that, like the apostrophe in my last name, I continue to... Hanging around, hanging around. Kids got alligator blood. Can't get rid of him. I hope not. Not anytime soon, at least. My favorite moment, Sunday, 
I actually saw on Tuesday. All right, here we are. Post-game Sunday. Seahawks have just beaten the Rams in overtime. They don't know if they're in the playoffs yet. They're going to need the Lions to beat the Packers. Spoiler alert. The Lions beat the Packers. We don't know that yet, though. And I probably watched this half a dozen, maybe ten times so far. I <laughs> I usually don't like locker room scenes. I feel that they're sanitized and curated. We don't really see something that's interesting unless Antonio Brown's uh, live streaming it on Facebook. But I generally feel like it's there's this convergence of rituals. It's a little kid's game with a little kid's ritual of like giving out game balls, but it's a coach trying to act super officious, right? And in the NFL, and I coaches coaches generally are very respectful of the efforts that their players make. Like they don't they don't treat them like kids. They don't treat most NFL players refer to their coach by his first name. Like that's that's generally how it works. Um there's there's a level of respect there. And so I feel like it's this weird mismatch of childhood ritual with like grown men trying to show each other respect. Pete's are totally different. Like Pete's Pete's are just totally different and I I love them. <laughs> like, I I would think that my reaction to this would be this is corny and it's not at all. Can you win the game in the first quarter? No! Can you win the game in the second quarter? No! Can you win the game in the third quarter? No! And if you can't win it in the fourth quarter, can you win it in OT? My only disappointment is that I can't hear Bruce in the background going, Hell no! It's goofy, man. And yet when you watch it, you can tell the guys are are into it. It's the sort of stuff that people, the reason people said Pete's act isn't going to work in the NFL. I, I, I remember that very clearly. I remember feeling that. That I, yeah, I don't think that's going to work with young millionaires. When he got the job, after all the success at USC, I, there were there were two questions I had. Okay, in the NFL, you can't recruit yourself to a prohibitive talent advantage. At, at USC, if it's possible, you can get five of the ten best recruits if you're that good as a recruiter and you make your program that exciting. Like, you can recruit yours. You can't do that in the NFL. Like, the the way to sustain success in the NFL is to draft better than everybody does. And there's a fair amount of evidence that no one really does that. You can be fortunate. You can have things work out. But there's there's no one who has some sort of magic touch where they consistently just draw superior talent from their drafts. Or you make those guys that you have better than the other ones. And... That's a different that's a different task than a college football coach has. How much is a is is a college football coaches is half their job recruiting? It might be half. In the NFL, like most of it is about 
player development, and scheme. Getting the guys to run the plays you want, provided those plays work, and getting the guys who run those plays to improve over the course of their employment with you. And then the second question was, are guys guys gonna buy this? I'm kind of surprised that my answer is like, yeah, they do. I think there's a shelf life for it. But, and you look at, here's Tyler Lockett right here in the background. Tyler's as veteran as you get on this team. With Bobby and, and Russ gone this year, and, and he's right there. Like, he's engaged in it. Like, you, you watch how, how the players in the background react to this. We squeezed every freaking second out of this season. Every second of it. All the way down, killing it for us. So the, we kicked it and the clock's gone. Beautiful freaking day today at work. It was hard. It was hard because it's an NFL game. It's always hard. They get paid, too. They play good, too. But you hung in there and you kept doing stuff right. And look how much we had to execute that stretch. I, I love that the defense gave up three points in the second half. I love that. Oh, Shout out to Tariq Woolen swinging the towel over his head like a helicopter. It's been really three great weeks of coming back and getting together. It's really a great job of getting that done. There's, regardless of what happens, this team is going places, fellas. You know it. We've been feeling it the whole time. But, fellas, there's so much heart. There's so much love. There's so much caring for one another. This is a real freaking team, for fellas. And for the guys that haven't been around a place like this, I'm, I'm so happy that you got to feel it because we're just getting freaking warmed up. That's what it is. We're just getting warmed up. And if it ain't, it's coming off tomorrow, then it's going to be coming the next time around. We're going to get our shit done. So, uh, fantastic job today. Hey, what a team we got, man. What a, what a brother. I'll go back to this. That's Geno Smith talking to the team because you'll see Pete's head right at the end and he's looking straight at Gino to see how Gino handles that which there is Pete is very attentive to how his players respond and how the dynamics of his team work and who steps into leadership roles and who exhibits those leadership qualities but there's also something about Pete's the fact that he is that energetic without any sort of sense of he doesn't apologize for it he doesn't try to make it seem like oh i know i'm a bit goofy like he fully embraces that like it is this is who he is and players respond to that even though like when i look at that i was like that's more how a high school or a college coach would interact with his team than how I would expect an NFL coach to interact with it. It is much more about emotional buy-in than it is transactional. And what I would mean by that is the emotional buy-in is sort of the rah-rah enthusiasm of we can do it. We just need to believe. And I believe most NFL teams operate on a more transactional model, which is it's your job. You get paid to perform this job. We are going to put you in the positions that we think make you most capable of excelling at your job. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's a job. And when we do our jobs well, we go home with a victory. 
And that's what I see in most NFL locker rooms, especially the footage that gets put out by the teams, is this way to go, men. We did a good job. Enjoy this win. You earned it. Pizza's different. Pizza's an emotional buy-in. It is, you feel what this is like. It can always be this way. Like, and I, I really do think, <laughs> as weird as it is, like these sort of, it's propaganda, right? Like it's put out by the team. There's nothing, his swears are, are, are edited out. But it's also authentic, and you're seeing how he actually interacts with his team. And I think you're seeing the reason that he has been able to get the team to the playoffs in two of the three years that Russell Wilson wasn't the quarterback. Like, he does get guys to buy in. And they're not too cool for school or like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm above that. Like, this is, don't, don't talk to me like I'm a, a kid on scholarship. Like, he does get that buy-in. He does get them to see the team as once we get it right and once we get it going, we're going to be able to sustain this. And it takes you believing. And you've got to believe. And I believe. And I believe so much that I don't really care if I look corny to people that are on the outside. Like there's a courage in that. There's there's a courage in in doing that of like being, and I guess I should know because I'm fairly corny. Um, but Pete's Pete's got a courage in not caring that he doesn't sound like other coaches, of not caring that some people think he's a Pollyanna, too good to be true. And, and his players, his players do respond to it. And that's what I'm always struck by in those. <laughs> I'll go back to Bruce Irvin. The time that we heard Bruce Irvin, I, I'm going to have to go find the, the audio clip. When Bruce goes, hell no. I, and there's, there's an emotional connection that Pete has made there. And players are embracing this goofy ritual that you think sounds more something something that you would be more likely to hear after a high school game or a college game. Let's go back to Gino's, the start of Gino's speech here. So Pete's done. Good job today. Hey, what a team we got, man. What a, what a brotherhood. Coach talked about it last night, right? What it means to be a brotherhood and play for your brother, man. And that's what happened today. It took everybody, man. It took everybody. I'm, a, I'm proud to be a part of this team. Hey. Look at Pete right here. Like, if you look at Pete right there, like, he is watching Gino. And I don't think, I don't think this is the case where he's an audience member. I think he's looking, how does Gino handle this moment? And how do the guys respond to him? Gino, in my mind, is the best story off of this team this year. And I'm not going to say that no other coach could have brought out what Gino did. Because I don't want to diminish. Gino's a talented player. Like He was talented enough that the New York Jets drafted him in the second round and thought he had a chance to be their future long-term quarterback. He was talented enough that Jerry Reese and Ben McAdoo signed him and then ultimately went to start him over Eli Manning. It didn't work out well for him. But I don't, I don't want to be like, 
oh, Gino, Pete Carroll made Gino Smith. Like, it takes the agency away from Gino. Gino had a great year because Gino is a talented and capable football player. I do think Pete put him in the best situation to achieve that success. And I think a huge part of what Pete did was believing in Gino. Of saying from the beginning, I think Gino's out in front. We're, we're prepared and we're comfortable with Gino being our starter. And everybody snickers, including me, because I did not think that I thought Drew Locke, I didn't think Drew Locke had a good chance of being Seattle's long term quarterback. I thought he had a much better chance of doing that than Geno Smith. If you were going to start this season with the, the Hugh Millen pie chart, I would say. 85% likelihood that Seattle's 2023 starting quarterback was not on the roster in 2022. Like that their, their long-term, the guy they would end up going with wasn't on the team this year. Then it would be similar to 2011 when you had Tavares Jackson and Matt Hassel, or 2011 when you had Tavares Jackson and Charlie Whitehurst after Matt Hasselback that I, I, I think most likely it's going to be someone else. And of that 15% chance that it might be one of those guys, it was like, 12% chance that Drew Locke would be the long-term starter and like 3% chance Geno Smith would be the long... would That Geno Smith would be the opening day starter in 2023 would... I, I, I did not give that much of a chance of occurring at all. At all! I thought he'd be the starter at the beginning of 2022. I thought he would eventually, after a month, maybe a month and a half... Drew Locke would get the opportunity. The, the reason that Gino did have the success he had, I think, I think was enhanced. I, I think that Pete Carroll gave him the best chance because of how he buoyed Gino's confidence. And you saw a couple things about it over the course of the season. The game, was it against the, the Chargers when he wiped off like Gino was upset about a call and Pete like rubbed his chest trying to, and it was clear he was giving Gino a cue of like sort of let go of that focus on the next play. Like don't, don't get outside yourself. And it worked. They had a huge third down conversion on the next play. Like you saw Gino release the objection that he had to the, to the call and focus on the next thing. Like it was this perfect, like Pete was focused on what he thought his player needed to give him a chance to be successful. And Gino took advantage. Like, Gino embraced it and leaned into it. And I think here, I think where you see Pete staring at him, I think he's looking to see, like, okay, how does Gino handle this role? He's in a different spot now. He's our starting quarterback. Gino Smith is the starting quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. And you can wonder how they're going to resign him or how all that's going to shake out. I, I would be shocked if Geno Smith is not their starter next season. And Pete's looking of like, okay, how do we get more consistency out of him? How do we get him to take the next step? How does he embrace being a leader here? Let's keep going, baby. Hawks on three, one, two, three. Hawks! Yes, sir. <laughs> it just cracks me up. Look at Pete's face right there. <laughs> He's so into it. He's so into it. Hawks on three, one, two, three. Hawks! Yes, sir. <laughs> He's got this battle cry. Hawks! Before the season started, uh, I had Mike Sando from The Athletic on for an interview. 
in which we kind of talked about this season and the focused on the paths diverging for Russell Wilson and the franchise and what would constitute success for the Seahawks, what would constitute what was at stake for the Broncos, I think. And I've known Mike since 2005. Uh, I started covering the Seahawks for the Seattle Post-Intelligencer that year. Mike was the the most experienced beat writer. He he worked for the Tacoma News Tribune. I've always respected uh, Mike's expertise as a as a journalist. Um, and the things that have there there are two things specifically that I think Mike does exceptionally well. First, Mike understood how to be an online how to cover an NFL team online. Like he was one of the best newspaper reporters at understanding how to do that in an online environment. Most newspaper reporters continued to cover the teams as as they had um, for their newspapers. And in, in 2005, the internet wasn't new, but most newspapers were not centered on their website and their coverage of teams was not... And Mike, Mike did a lot of things. Mike, Mike would post the full audio of a Wednesday Mike Holmgren press conference. After we got back from the press conference, he would go upload it. They had a blog. Like those were things that were that were novel. Mike understood and approached covering a team differently in an online era, and he did that before most newspaper reporters did. In fact, I would I would say he and Mike Reese. Um, over in New England, uh, in Boston, were two of the guys kind of at the at the cutting edge of that in in newspaper reporters who embraced and and explored new ways to cover teams in an online news cycle. The other thing that I've liked about Mike and <laughs> what I've liked about Mike, Mike Mike seeks to understand how the power brokers in the league see the game and the players in it. There are a lot of different ways that guys, uh, journalists, try to make their mark. Um, you see insiders, which I would include like Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, um, guys who, they're focused on scoops. My value is I get news before anybody else does. And then there are people who focus on relationships and insights from the players and it's not that Mike doesn't do either of those things he does and did but Mike was he approached trying to understand how the power brokers in the game and I would say that there's there's three tiers of that there's coaches there are scouts and then there are the front office executives and and each one of those kind of fills a different a different role there's overlap between all of them but he would he would seek to understand how they saw the game with the goal of letting his readers in on sort of this is how they're looking at it and it wasn't saying that this is the right way or this is the ultimate truth but mike's really good and you see it in his coverage like you see that clearly in his coverage now at the athletic the quarterback tiers list he does each year is one of the best pieces, like one of the pieces of journalism that I enjoy most, regardless of genre. Like he tells you, how do guys in the league sort of rank these quarterbacks? And they don't rank them one to 32. 
Like they rank him in levels of what does this guy do? How far can you get with this kind of quarterback? Like what? It's fascinating. And he does it in his weekly column. I think it's called the pick six on the athletic. Like he lets you know how guys in the league see the sort of issues and questions. And it was, I think we shared the same sort of view on, on Russ when I talked to Mike, which was Denver's probably going to be better because Russ is a better quarterback than they've had. Russ is going to have more say and has been empowered and he's linked with a, with a first-time head coach. Seattle is going to take a short-term step backward. Doesn't mean it was the wrong choice. Seattle was dealing with a quarterback who was unhappy in his current situation, regardless of whether he was right to be unhappy or not. Like, that was a reality. You had a quarterback who wasn't who wasn't enthused about the way things were going with the team. You also had a question of, okay, if he's not going to resign, what are we going to do here? And Seattle, I think both of us <laughs> felt like this isn't necessarily the best decision for Seattle's prospects, but they're also up against a tough situation. And there's there was also the cliff of, okay, if he had a bad year, if Russ had a bad year this year, or if he truly is declining as a player, like we might be in a situation where right now is the most we can get for him if we're gonna get if we're gonna get out. If if he's not going to be our long term quarterback, right now we better get what we can because the return might be significantly less twelve months from now. We know now that that's not how the situation and the season turned out for either team. But what was most interesting in going back and listening to what Mike and I talked about and what Mike explained was I asked him, what are you looking for for the Seahawks this season? What, what, what would be a sign that this Seahawks team is on the right track? And, and Mike pointed to two things like there were two things that he wanted to see it'll look good again so i think that i i would want to see two things from them one i kind of believe that the great coach rarely has a terrible year even pete in his first couple years was seven and nine i think he's a great coach um so i want to see that like he has to save them from being really bad and then that's fascinating isn't it he's got to save them from being really bad it's a really different way than most fans and people look at a team, especially in the contemporary context, which is sort of the worst thing you want to be as average, right? Like there's a, there's a school of thought. I'm not going to say it's totally wrong. There's a school of thought, though. I don't agree with it, which is either be good or be bad. Either be good and have a chance to not just make the playoffs, but do some damage there or be bad. Because if you're bad, you get good draft picks. And that the worst spot to be is sort of stuck in the middle where you're, you're not really good enough to matter, but you're not bad enough to get the picks that you need to get good, right? Like you're, you're just, you're like, meh, <laughs> mid is the, is the phrase the kids use. Very mid. It's like, it's not great. It's not awful. And, and that that's a bad place to be high centered in the middle. I understand that. I don't necessarily agree with it. But hearing Mike say it, 
like I was like, that is that is a way of looking looking at a team and a coach. I would say Belichick. Belichick's a great example of uh, of a guy who like, they don't have bad years. I mean, I guess they had a bad year with Cam Newton when Newton just clearly was broken. But even without Brady, they didn't make the playoffs the year Brady suffered a knee injury in the first game. Matt Castle was the starter. I think they won 11 games. I know they won at least 10. I think they won 11 games and didn't make the playoffs. I think they went 11-5 and and didn't make the playoffs in that year. And they didn't make the playoffs this year with Mac Jones. They got in last year but weren't very good. But that idea of, hey, even even when you don't have sort of the, the killer team, even when you don't have a championship caliber team, you're not awful. Seattle wasn't awful in 2010. They were rebuilding, and they, they had some real, real depth issues. They weren't awful. They're 7-9. They got in the playoffs and had that ridiculous win over the Saints. 2011, they've got Tavares Jackson as their starter. He gets hurt. Charlie Whitehurst comes in, was god-awful. Tavares Jackson comes back. He's playing limited. Like they weren't bad. They were seven and nine. They lost their final two games, and that included a really close game against a 49ers team that was really good. Sort of the 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 Seahawks. I think that you saw the seeds of them turning the corner. Last year, they had a horrible middle of the season. Awful. The quarterback was hurt. They ended up coming back and winning their last couple games. Like they won seven games, and then this year, Seattle's flawed. I don't expect them to win against the 49ers. I give them a better shot than most people do. I, I think their run defense is going to be better than it was in that game against the 49ers on Thursday night. And, and I think you've got a situation with San Francisco having a rookie quarterback. where I, I, could, I could see this game going differently. I don't expect it to. But I could see a scenario where Seattle gets up and gets some energy and all of a sudden is playing better. And I think they've got a better shot to win this game than they had to beat the Saints in in the 2010 playoffs. Like, I definitely believe that. Did Pete save him from being bad? Yeah, I kind of think he did. I kind of think he did. You got Geno Smith, who hasn't started a game since 2017. Is that right? Is that when he started the game for the for the Giants? 2015? No, it's 2017 because it was his first year with the Giants. And he ends up in the Pro Bowl. Who are the really good players? I'd say Tariq Woolen is really good. I think Jordan Brooks was having a really good year before he got injured. I think Daryl Taylor has been one of the most inconsistent players on the team. I'm encouraged by how he ended the year, but his beginning, he was completely out of sorts to the point where Seattle had to find somebody to take some snaps because they couldn't count on him. I think they've got two really good offensive tackles. I think they've got two great wide receivers. I, I really liked how they played with three tight ends this year. But if I was going to say, like, who are their great players? I think they've got 
three and possibly four sort of guys who are going to be leaders, like anchors going forward from this rookie class. The two tackles, Abe Lucas, Charles Cross, and Tariq Woolen for sure. I think Kobe Bryant's pretty good. And Ken Walker. Ken, Wa- Ken Walker's a great running back. Like I, I like watching him play. I I will argue all to, all day about the, the 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 sort of not the importance of that position, but the the fragility of that position. Um but they're great players. Like I I think this team really overachieved. And at some point it stops being an accident that it's happening under the coach with the corny post game rituals. It was interesting. I'll, let's let's let Mike finish the point here. He gave us the first one: is that great coaches rarely have a bad season. What's the second thing you would want to see? I want to see the young young guys play. Now, it's a huge bonus cherry on top to me if Drew Locke looks good at some point during the year. You know, I'm not one of the Locke believers. Uh, I certainly understand what they're talking about because he does have really good talent, but he just seems like the type of guy at the worst time who just totally ruins the game. You know, and he has to prove his way out of that and wasn't able to in preseason. Uh, if they were to get a quarterback answer out of this season, to me, that's winning the lottery. Because I, I think they bought a lottery ticket in Drew Locke. I don't think. Funny. Xander was pretty much the same as I was, which was like, okay, Geno Smith's there, but he's not really the long-term consideration. <laughs> and then it's Drew Locke. And I, I completely agreed with his assessment. I, If Drew Locke ends up playing significant snaps for Pete Carroll, Drew Locke is the kind of quarterback that's going to drive Pete nuts absolutely drive him crazy um i think because he's the guy that's going to be prone to hucking the ball downfield that's pete's number one big pet peeve is that the arm punt he hates it and gino gino's committed too many turnovers like we should be very clear about that i think he's had a turnover in 16 of the 17 games like that's that's going to need to improve stepping forward But it's kind of like what Sando said is just a little flipped. Like it's not Drew Locke that turned out that way. It's Geno Smith. He's a investment. You know what I mean? I don't think he's a blue chip stock. I think he's a little bit of a lottery ticket and it, you know, you, I don't mean like it's Powerball odds, you know, but, but you're, you know, they're trying to win a few hundred bucks on a lottery ticket and that's hard to do. You know what? (laughs) Seattle won a few hundred dollars on a lottery ticket with Geno Smith. And it's not that it was an unknown quantity because he'd been on the team. Seattle, Seattle won. I, it's not a Powerball jackpot. They didn't get Kurt Warner MVP from the Arena League sort of project heap. But I think they might have gotten somebody who's as good as Kurt Cousins. There is value in an average NFL starting quarterback. And I would say right now you feel... I don't feel it's unreasonable to say like I think I think Geno Smith is an average NFL starting quarterback. Like you got to the playoffs with Geno Smith. Like that's that's an average NFL starting quarterback can get you to the playoffs. Like that if everything goes right, you might go a little further. I'm not sure he's going to pilot you through multiple playoff victories. And I'm not sure if you get into a situation where you're like, okay, nothing else is going right and we need you to win this game, if that's going to happen. Those are the Powerball odds, right? I won a couple hundred bucks on a lottery ticket. It feels good. feels nice to give a Pete Carroll, whoo, 
Is that how Pete shouts? I don't know if that's how Pete shouts. That's going to do it for this episode of The Dang Apostrophe. I am Danny O'Neill. I encourage you to check out my writings on Substack. If you're a Husky fan, please tune in to the Say Who, Say Pod. Christian and I will be recording uh, tomorrow morning, Thursday, January 12th. We'll have updates about the Sam Heward decision to enter the transfer portal. And we got the Seahawks. The Seahawks playing on Saturday. I'll also be, uh, I think I'm serving as, I don't know if it's, I, I'm, I'm working with Mitch on Sunday for Mitch Unfiltered. So that he's letting me out from the, the patrons corral. And I will be doing the regular show, which will be posted early next week, Mitch Unfiltered. Talk to you soon. Then more Sean Lane. Shut up, Danny.